can't find my fucking notes. They got taken. <laughs> They've been hunted. This is the point of separation from my notes. <laughs> We've been separated. Did they hop across a boulder field away from you? Remember when we used to just scream point of separation at each other? I think we need to bring that back. Can the dogs not track your notes? You guys, we did do that. I don't know if we ever told you all that. When we went to uh, when we went to Colorado for the Mile High Mysteries Conference, that I think that was the first time a couple of us had been introduced to the concept of point of separation. And so when we were like going out on hikes or whatever, if somebody was like, I'm gonna run in and use the bathroom at the gas station, someone would just be like, Point of separation. <laughs> Everybody was fucking Yelling at I each think other. Mile High Chance actually originated that. Mm, it's pretty good. It's pretty good. Look, man, you got to call attention to the signs because if you don't, you're going to miss them. And that's when motherfuckers disappear. <laughs> I found my notes. Boop. Here. <laughs> mm. And we thought it wouldn't have applications. <laughs> and here we are. Not boop. Here. <laughs> not- right here. Here we are. We're right here. Not two minutes into this episode, and we have found two, not one, two (laughs) uses for our new sounder. So you asked me if we had voicemails Uh worth playing or listening to. Uh Uh-huh. Our first one. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Mm-hmm. Yes. Our most recent voicemail from 9.35 this morning. Uh Uh-oh. The transcription from Google says, I mean, you're welcome. And it's six seconds long. Did someone just call and say, I mean, you're welcome? Nope. Well, that's a foreign language. What in the fuck was that? (laughs) And Google thought that meant, I mean, you're welcome? Uh Uh-huh. Google doesn't speak Japanese, apparently. Is it Japanese? Maybe. No, that's Chinese. Mm. Mm. We're not going to pretend we know what that is. Maybe those two are fucking dumb. Maybe Google has gotten so good that it knows it whatever language it is and knows that we speak English. It's a very inefficient language. If that translates to "I mean, comma, you're welcome," it also doesn't sound or like. Or maybe it. Google is saying that to us. Yeah, I mean. You're welcome. welcome. <laughs> I served you this voicemail. You fucking deal with I've it. I've delivered you hundreds of voicemails and you've never thanked me once. I don't think that can be an attempt at translating that language in like just phonic English sounds because that doesn't even sound anything like, I mean, you're welcome either. Yeah, I, I have no idea. Okay. Can one of our listeners who's much smarter than us tell us what that meant, please? Hopefully. Please um, help us. Were there any other essays that you wanted to listen to? Not in particular. I just okay. know that our phones stay ringing off the hook these days, yeah, and we haven't uh, played a ton of these well, recently. We want to let you all know that we do listen to like the vast majority of the voicemails that come through. We just don't always play them on the show, because if we did, it, it would become only a voicemail podcast. But uh, we do play a lot of them on the Patreon, and we, we play some here occasionally, too. So. A, lot, a lot of the recent ones are people, people telling us where and how we fucked up and why we're dumb. <laughs> Well, and look, those ones we particularly listen to and appreciate. Noted. We're just we're just not going to tell all of you how dumb we are because that just 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 not a. Good and we have a lot of time. other uh, important things to make fun of today. Boy, do we ever! 
Oh, you're looking for? Sure. All right, let's, try, let's let, no, no, no. Let's let's try it again. Da 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 da. Hell no! <laughs> All right, that works. Wait, yeah. wait, wait, wait. One more. You need one more. Yeah, give me, give me, give me one more. Okay. Uh, na 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 na. Stop being a punk. <laughs> yeah. Okay. Yeah. Uh, we're talking. I guess this is basically an "Is It Trash?" episode slash "What Have You Disappeared?" part. 49. Yes. Ryan, do we agree that this is the last time David Politis will be mentioned on our show? Are we putting this to bed? Yes. David Politis has been reached out to for comment and for about the millionth time, although this time slightly more directly than in the past, has said, no, thank you. I do not wish to appear on your show. No, he did not directly say that at all. We sent him an interview request. He asked for more information. We gave it to him, and then he stopped talking to us. (laughs) Correct. I but, think he listened to our show and said it was not his brand. That would be my guess. And this he I responded mean, to us this time though. He's just ignored yeah. us every other time. I'm just saying that's not a direct refusal. It's a it's actually a slightly more indirect refusal. I put our stats in the email this time, and I think he I got him to at least listen, and then he listened, and then and then he said those two are fucking dumb. Mm. Uh, so we're gonna talk about his newest documentary missing four and one the hunted yeah get it because they're not hunters anymore they're being hunted john 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 they've become the hunties look y'all here's the deal the what if you disappeared series has been one of the most popular series is of episodes that we've done on the show we've had a fun time exploring it and dissecting it and this is gonna be it this is the last time we're going to talk about it, at least as it relates to the missing 411 and the David Politis stuff. We're going to close the book after we dissect this documentary and and put it to bed and talk about other stuff going forward. Can we just start going through some of these? Like, yeah, yeah, in, yeah, yeah. In the order that they appear? Let's, yeah, let's talk. Okay, so uh, if this isn't obvious at this point, fucking spoiler alert, we're going we're gonna to spoil the whole documentary for you um, by talking about our takes and the individual stories that show up in it. If this is a documentary that you're going to want to watch and you don't want that, like go watch it first and then come back and listen to this. Sure. But, um, but we're going to, we're going to talk about like basically what happens. Guess what, guess what, guess what happened. Thomas Messick is the first, uh, case covered in the, in the film chapter goes by, it goes by chapters. Sure. And there's a, a quote from Politis before he gets into this first case, where he says, quote, generally speaking, hunters are very experienced, aware, and knowledgeable outdoorsmen. So when one vanishes, you know something unusual has occurred. That's the setup for all of the stories that are then told throughout the documentary. And the thing that I hate about that. <laughs> mm-hmm. no, go ahead. It stuck out to me for a reason, too. Yeah, and the thing that I hate about that the most is that as if because you have hunted before you are somehow impervious to nature right you are impervious to the elements like don't get me wrong i understand the concept of if you're an experienced hunter hiker a lot of the people who who we're going to talk about today have gone missing in places that they've been before so if, if you were new there and it was rough terrain that would be slightly more challenging but it's not like just because you're an outdoorsman or woman or person, you are somehow invincible when it comes to the wild. That logic is just trash because 
yes, some of the, some of the people in this documentary are experienced hunters or outdoors people. Not all of them. So first of all, you're you're already deceiving us or implying something that isn't necessarily true, right? But secondly, for example, I'm very experienced at some things. I'm very good at some things, right? I still fuck those things up pretty regularly. It's not that if you I mean, ever do it wrong and make a mistake, where, by the way, in, in the situations where you make mistakes, the stakes are not very high. In the situations where you make a mistake when it's 30 degrees outside and you're in a 1,200 square mile national park, stakes are a lot higher. Yeah. A lot higher. I just, it's like, how often do you make a mistake at your job that, you do, that you do every day and you're literally a professional at? Right. And there's just this this line of thinking sometimes in, uh, I guess, any unexplained topics that because someone is, often you hear it with like a police officer or a pilot in UFO cases, or in this case, a hunter, because they have training and experience around something, that means that every one of their observations is 100% correct, or that they make every decision exactly correct right every time they go out in the woods like that no one no one does anything at a hundred percent right and that's i mean if we're talking about the best of the best at whatever thing we're talking about a a pilot with 40 years of experience can make a mistake a hunter who hunts the same land every weekend for 40 years can make a mistake right and that's not even what we're talking about in these stories okay it's also sorry as i was gonna say it's also like you cannot make a mistake but something can just happen to you in nature right. that is beyond your control, even if you are a competent person in that situation. Yes. That's the other thing that I think is goofy about it is it's like, just because you're an experienced outdoorsman doesn't mean something unusual happens. If you get attacked by a bear and dragged into a river and you float down river 40 miles from where you last were seen, that's not, right. that's not like you being a bad outdoorsman. That's like, the sorry, bear's a better outdoorsman. Sorry, dog. The bear's the way bear better has... at being in the wild than you are because yeah. it's a fucking bear. All right. Thomas Messick is the first case that they discuss. He's an 80 or was an 82 year old hunter who on November 15th of 2015 went missing near Albany, New York. One of the, the first politest quote I wrote down is quote, the FBI doesn't investigate missing adults. So why did they get involved in Messick's case? So before even telling us the details of what happened, he was implying that there's something spooky going on right. because the FBI was involved. Also, there is literally a missing persons page Correct. on the FBI website. Correct. That has just like the just like there is on the National Parks website, as yep. we've discussed before. He's just straight has, up wrong about that. That has ninety different cases on it, and all of the cases have FBI sealed posters that you can download and post in your area the submit a tip line for each of the individual cases submits to the fbi field office in the area where the person was last seen so no they yeah. do i i i don't i don't get it <laughs> why like how is how is something that blatantly false I instantly Googled it because I was like, that's that can't not, be right. That's it not true. Right. And then I went to the FBI's website, 
literally in the top Google search result and said, no, look, it's not true because here's all of the open cases the FBI is doing where they're, they're searching for missing people. Mr. Messick went out hunting with a group of four guys, all in their 80s, uh, in an area that... Uh, seven guys. The four that were waiting were 80, and the three that pushed down the hill were the younger guys. Got it. Seven total. Uh, and they were hunting in an area that was new to them. And they went out and they split up. So the idea was the four older guys were going to be uh, in one area. Three other guys were going to push animals. I'm, they were hunting deer, right? Yeah, they were hunting deer. So the, the four guys were like along a river, or excuse me, along a pond so that they had water to their back. And then the three guys went up in at the top of a hill and they were going to push the deer down the hill towards them. So the old guys could just sit so there the old, and shoot them. Yep, exactly. Um, they were out for a few hours. When it started to get dark, they headed back, and Thomas didn't show up. When he went out, he had a walkie-talkie and his rifle with him. Um, they go back to the woods to look for him because they figure he can't have gone too far. We were out there yep. for only a couple hours. They're honking the truck horns. They're he doing three-shot series with the rifles to try to see if they can get him to hear that. Um... They weren't able to find him. They call into the rangers, who I'm assuming are, I don't know where they were, if it w- would have been like a state park ranger that he's talking about, or Probably. if they mean like state police or something. Yeah. Um, and they continue looking. It gets dark at about 7.30, and <laughs> at this point in the documentary, it says the search began in full on September 16th. But he said they went missing on November 15th. So I'm assuming that's a, it's yeah. got to be a typo. I didn't miss that. All right. I missed that specifically, but yeah, it's got to be a typo. It's got to be the next day. I think day, he means the next day, yeah. not 10 months later. Yeah. Um, they, after a very thorough search where they gridded off the woods. So basically they would um, take a, I don't know how wide exactly, but just a few feet wide path through the woods walk it mark off okay it's been walked up to here and then grid the next section over and they so making sure that someone had walked like every square foot of the area yeah and then basically clearing an area saying we've checked here not here and just keep moving on in the grid yeah and the interesting part was or that i thought was interesting was they apparently the way they do it is they do it in rows first so it's almost like a think of it like a cornfield, right? Like you can walk all the way across a cornfield in a row, and then the same group of I think they said like twenty or thirty people. You're walking shoulder to shoulder, arm to arm with twenty to thirty people. You all walk down to the end. You turn around as if you were pivoting on the last person, and then walk all the way back. And then that's how you kind of comb back and forth. But not only did they do that once, they did it a second time in the course of the search, the other direction. So the first time they went like north south through this whole gridded area. And then they went east-west through the exact same area to just, like, truly double-check every space. Yeah. All in all, there were uh, more than 300 people involved in the search. They had divers in the in the pond uh, nearby to where they had been hunting. State police helicopters with infrared cameras looking for body heat. On the fourth day of the search, uh, two FBI agents showed up. And then at this point, I wrote down in my notes that Politis claims the FBI has been maintaining records of missing people cases since the 1960s. That were eerily similar to Tom's disappearance. 
So literally six minutes after telling us that the FBI does not investigate missing persons cases. Is it possible that he's trying to make a distinction between actively investigating and maintaining a catalog of investigations done by others? I guess that's possible, but that... So he's saying it's weird that they would have actually shown up during the investigation. Normally they would take information from another office and... Yeah. Keep files of it or something? I guess to maybe make like a more holistic approach to things. But that distinction is not made clear if that is what he's trying to say. Also, I'm not sure that's an important distinction, honestly. Um, And then... The search lasted 10 days. On November 26th, they called it off, and Thomas has not been found. A, a couple key points yeah. uh, to both Politis' argument of something weird is going on here, and then to my argument of, no, the fuck it isn't. <laughs> um, Politis points out that, and he speaks to one of the men who was with him, who claims to have heard a weird sound Around the time, well, during that two-hour window of the hunt, yeah, between yeah when they last saw Thomas and when they realized that he was missing, he described it, the sound as being like a snap or a crack, quote, like a big trap closing, mm-hmm. which maybe weird, maybe not. Like things live in the woods. There were six other people in the woods, right? And he doesn't potentially animals in the woods. There aren't that many animals that would like snap a branch, but yeah, like, but he doesn't get into any specifics about what made it weird. Hearing a crack in the woods is not necessarily weird, especially if there's six other people walking around, right? With the the with the intent of getting animals to move, right? Like people and deer are in theory moving pretty close to you, right? Um. He then also, I think it was the same gentleman or maybe one of the other hunters said, quote, we didn't see any squirrel, chipmunks or anything, no signs of them, implying that there was an, uh, an unusual lack of other wildlife in the, in those woods. Yeah. And an under sheriff, uh, from the sheriff's department that he interviews as well, backs up that claim and said that searchers noted the oddity of the lack of wildlife that they encountered during the search. Okay. Maybe that's weird. I don't know. Yeah, it's a how would it, what is the implication with a relationship there? How would that be related to someone going missing? That's what I'm saying about like all of the the implications to just spook you is like there's no actual evidence of that. Only two people said it. It's not really a verifiable claim in general. Also, no, if seven people are tromping through the woods, and it's it's originating with someone who's not, never been there before. So what? How would you know what is right. usual or unusual? And when a search party goes through with significantly more than seven people, I bet you there won't be a lot of animals hanging out there. there usually, aren't a hundred people th- walking through these woods? They're probably not going to be near that situation. So it just it's just a it's a weird thing to call out, and it doesn't seem to lead much of anywhere. The sound is a weird one too. I know that like, you know, there's that whole thing of. Do you, how much of that is memory? How much of that is, you know, upon reflection of the day after already knowing that Tom disappeared, do you remember anything weird? Did you hear anything? Well, now that I think about it, 
thought it was just a tree branch break in, but maybe it was something, you know, like we all have that capacity to sort of shift our memory in. Again, what is, what is he implying there? That that's, I mean, I'm, I'm just trying to think based on like Politus's other stuff. Is he saying that's the sound of a portal opening and closing? Because he, he blames some of these disappearances on portals. I think the implication is there was something else in the woods, whatever so he's, that he's is. he's saying that it was a Bigfoot situation? I mean, he's not, though. That's the thing. Is that's, that, that is the, in some ways, the, like, the mind-fucking maddening part of everything he does. He's not saying anything. He's just asking questions and... Uh. The last two films he's made, he has come to the conclusion at the end of the that History Channel TV movie he made that people were walking into portals. That was he told yes. a, a woman oh god whose husband I can't go back there, bro. It was so awkward <laughs> that he walked through a portal. It's too awkward, man. I can't handle it. And in this one, he spends the last again fucking huge spoiler. He spends the last twenty or so minutes of this film talking about Bigfoot, but he doesn't. Because they literally never say the word Bigfoot. They spend, again, huge spoiler, and going back to our episode from two weeks ago, they go and he spent a week at the Sierra camp where Ron Moorhead and a guy whose name I already forgot. Scott Nelson. uh, No, he wasn't. That's the decoder crypto linguist guy. Who was the other guy who was originally with Ron Moorhead? The journalist. I don't remember. Okay, whatever. The Sierra Sasquatch Sounds camp yes. that yes. we played for you two weeks ago with yes. Dallas. He spent a week there with Ron and with Scott Nelson. Yes. Looking for Bigfoot. So, but, okay, I understand what you're saying, but it's important, I think, a, a distinction to make that he intentionally, I think, intentionally does not say the word Bigfoot throughout the entirety of that segment. I think what he's doing is exactly what we said at the beginning with all of these things. He's saying, I'm going to ask a question and I'm going to point at some things and I'm going to let you, if, if I decide and you write off what I decide, you, I've lost you. But if I just give you all the questions and I can just keep the, doing this and forever the evidence for you to fill in your own holes, I can do this shit forever. And you will constantly put your own narrative on top of my stories, which will then let you be the one who's like, Ooh, it's mysterious. Ooh, it's interesting. It doesn't become mysterious. If he says these were the Sierra Bigfoot sounds, these men believe they documented a Bigfoot and the Bigfoot what is what's taking say, all though? the because people. That, he's, he says that without saying the word Bigfoot. Cre- they say creature. There was a creature outside okay. of the thing. They don't know what creature was making the sounds. Whatever it was, it was mysterious. They like they use all of, in my opinion, they use very intentional language to avoid making a claim about anything that's happening. And I think that, again, is part of the, the wishy-washiness of this dude where he's like, I want to be an expert and say like, I know what's going on here, but you don't. And you don't ever actually claim in this entire documentary, what you think is going on. Okay. Uh, to close the loop on this Thomas Messick case, um, he was nearly blind. Yes. And mostly deaf and 82 years old in an area he had not been in before yes. by himself. Yes. Near water. Yes. What are we doing here? I know. 
Also, that's like the most, if I had to write a situation most likely for someone to disappear in, it would be that. How to lose your grandpa in two hours. An 82-year-old, nearly blind, nearly deaf man in the woods in an unfamiliar location by himself yep. near dusk. Yep. Yeah. Yeah. That should shock. I mean, it, it's horrible and it sucks. Yeah. Absolutely. But to imply that there's anything paranormal about that is is insane. I do think, so two interesting things. One, the line of questioning that Pilatus uses in this case, and he uses it in a lot of his cases, actually. He, he asks all the family members uh, about Tom, their dad or grandpa or husband or whatever. He speaks um, mostly, mostly to one of his sons. Mostly to one of his sons and his wife, too. Yeah. The line of questioning is very, like, he was an army veteran. He didn't drink. He was a hunter. He was, he had good judgment. He was moving well that day. He had a, he had a walkie talkie. He had a rifle. He had snacks. Like the, the line of questioning is very much so designed to set you up for this utter impossibility that someone could go missing in the wild. And even within that framework, and I don't know why they left it in the film, like you could have just edited this out, but they, they set up the they weren't drinking thing, and then he asked one of the guys, were you drinking that day? And he was like, oh, no, no, no. Well, I mean, we usually have a few beers. We have a few beers in the truck or whatever. And like, yeah, yeah, yeah. <sighs> nah. the, the, so here's the thing about this one. I agree with a couple sentiments. One, an 82-year-old man who is deaf and blind isn't going very far in the course of two hours. So it is weird to me that a day later with 300 people in those woods – you find literally no sign of him. You don't find a rifle. You don't find a hat. You don't find a jacket. You don't find a candy bar. You don't, you literally don't find, you don't find a walkie talkie. You don't find anything. I acknowledge that that's kind of odd to a degree. The other I, thing that is in this story, one of the guys who's part of the search party says that for part of the search of the area that they searched, they were searching in the pond and then outside of the pond, there was swamp lands that were quote swamps up to our chests. Okay. So, so he's in there. I'm saying like, you're trying to tell me that it's not, that it's impossible. And his stuff is with him because he was carrying it. And he's, if he's blind and he's walking towards where he thinks the truck is and instead he falls face first into a swamp, he's going to sink directly to the bottom of that. And all of his stuff is going to go with him. End, end of story. And if he sinks into the bottom of the muck in the bottom of a swamp, you can walk a bunch of people through there and they're not necessarily going to kick or feel or find that. Yeah. There are, but yes, that is one possible explanation. There are many others and all of them are more reasonable than whatever he's trying to imply with the, there were no squirrels and the, this other guy heard a cracking sound. Let's uh let's move to chapter two unless you got anything about that one because we got just quickly. Yep, he b very briefly covers another case, uh, fifty miles south of where Thomas Messick disappeared from. Uh, about a week later, oh, there's yeah. a gentleman named Fred Drum who also disappeared. Yep, and we get the whole "Isn't it spooky? This must be some sort of hotspot" speech from David Plaitis. Right. Okay, I think it's important. Because this is the first time I've seen him lay these out in this uh, this bluntly. And if you're new to the missing 411 stuff, you need to know about the profile points. 
Here we go. Point of separation. These are things that I've heard him reference in interviews. Uh, they're referenced in the books. I've never seen them all laid out in one place before. Watch out for the boulders. <laughs> no, we did see him Bad laid out. Boy. We did see him laid out on a slide at the Mile High Mystery Conference. It was different Conference. than this, though. Well, was it? So maybe this yeah, is either an updated or a revised version or something then. Mm. Or that was an uh, an incomplete list that we saw that day. I would tell you guys what that list that we saw was that day, but I got yelled at for taking pictures by a man with a mustache. See, you all didn't happen to do a bunch of drugs, <laughs> did you? And that was my state that day. Um, <laughs> okay, profile point number one, point of separation. Yep. Also, would you like to hear my uh, one-sentence reactions to these as I was watching the film? Yeah. No shit! <laughs> you can't disappear if you're with other people. You have not disappeared until you are away from other people. Until you are alone. Ryan, if I can see you, 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 have, have, not, not disappeared. you have not disappeared. <laughs> Neither have you. Time of disappearance. This is point profile point number two. Time of disappearance. Most common for people to disappear in the late afternoon. Why? Because it gets dark. Oh, late afternoon. He's. I guess. I don't think of late afternoon necessarily as dark, but... Well, I'm saying... You realize someone has gone missing in the late afternoon because yeah, a, you've either been out for the day and that's the point where you would be reconvening and notice that someone is gone. Yeah, yeah. Or it gets dark and you get lost. And you can't find them. Yeah, Depending yeah. on where you are and what time of year it is. Right, I mean, right, it right. gets dark at four o'clock in the winter here. True story. Boulder Fields. This one is so weird to me. Also, the first case he's presented us with has nothing to do with Boulder Fields. That's the funny part the about The profile points do not apply to all of these cases at all. No, that's the funny part about it is he makes a list of like whatever 12 or 14 different profile points and then with each case he selects the 3 or 4 or 5 or 6 of them that match that case. Yeah. And I'm like, "Bro, that's not how it works." No. <laughs> I don't get to be like of 100 of 100 facial characteristics uh, you have three of them, which means you look just like that person that because means, they have three other ones. That means you are a snake because yeah. you have <laughs> right. eyes and a have, nose right. and your head is approximately round. Right. It's just um, like, come on, dude. Point number four, people go missing near water. Again. Yep. No shit. No shit. We can't breathe down there. Yeah. If we go in also, there for too long, we don't come back. Also, when you're in there and I'm not in there, I can't see you. <laughs> and I'm not going to go in to find you, probably. <laughs> no. Uh, point number five. Wait, you wouldn't, man? Come on. I thought we were friends. I mean, if I didn't, if I knew you were in there. All right. I'd, I'd give it a look. All right. I'd look around for about two minutes. That's as long as I can last. Otherwise, I'm joining you permanently. <laughs> Just saying. I'm then not that one guy who dives 9,000 feet down. Then you'd have the saddest podcast episode ever. Oh, no, 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 no. If you die in a remotely suspicious way, I'm calling Dave immediately, and we're making a new documentary. Okay. About me specifically? Mm -hmm. Sick. And a whole new spinoff podcast. That'd be a great... Oh. I mean... I don't want that to I be I would my, expect you to do the same, honestly. I don't want that to be my legacy. If I got abducted by aliens and you didn't start a new podcast about it, I would die oh. and come back just to haunt you. Okay. Yes. Except... I, don't I would kill it. myself just so I could come back to Earth and haunt you. <laughs> what I'm saying is I don't want it to be with Dave Politis. I don't want my shoes oh, fine. to be filled with Dave Politis' shoes. That yeah. just is a 
that would bump me out. I'll leave one of my shoes suspiciously on a beach also before mm. I get abducted. Perfect. Leave my foot in it. Uh, yeah, I gotta put your foot in it. Yeah, I don't need feet in space. <laughs> no, you don't. No gravity, bro. You're floating, bro. Just float wherever I need to go. Yeah, totally. Until I become a space ghost. Okay, number five, weather event. He gives the examples of a dust storm, a uh, rainstorm, or blizzard. You know, weather. I, I have two issues with this one. It's so incredibly vague that it could apply to almost any day that you could pick in the history of time. Some weather event has happened either before or after it. And he's you're also if, talking about often a search that is anywhere from like 7 to 14 days. If... If I went missing today and then it rained any time in the next week, that would fit this quote-unquote profile point. It's also ridiculous, too, because a lot of these, especially with the haunted disappearances, are in places with elevation. Mm -hmm. So if you're up and down or around mountains and shit like that, you just inherently have more weather because you have way more changing pressures. It's like... Also, a blizzard or a dust storm is going to make it harder to find someone. Yeah. You can't be out looking for as long. You can't cover right. as much ground. Right. If it snows two feet, like it did in one of the cases we're going to get to, right. it's going to be a lot harder to find someone. If right. they fell, if they're incapacitated, if they're dead, you're not going to see them. Right. It's also they're, easier to die if it snows because it's going to be cold. Number six, I think we're on. People with disabilities or illnesses go missing more often. Now, the interesting thing about this point that I think is additionally kind of awful is instead of using the logical line of reasoning of these people are the more vulnerable of our kind and when a point of separation occurs with a vulnerable person, they are more likely to not have the same skill set to be able to handle a situation like that, yeah. instead of using that line of logic, he uses it as an implication of strangeness, oddity, and connectiveness. Again, and again, I don't know what he's trying to imply, though. Is he, if it's, if we look at things that we know for sure he has said in the past, this is, is a person with a disability more likely to go into a portal? Uh, Do you somehow know how these portals operate? Are they intelligent and for some reason targeting people with disabilities? Or why would that be the case? Or people with injuries? I, I think the implication of it, to be honest, is whatever it is that's hunting them or taking these people is aware of their compromised state, so they'll be an easier target. I think that's that's the you the know, subtext under it. You know but who I think else thinks that way? Animals and nature. I mean, I and guess. And other human beings. I guess, yeah. I mean, there, there's also no way that he hasn't covered cases that are murders. Probably, yeah. Probably. I mean, with, with I don't know, he's written about or re recombined hundreds, if not thousands of cases now. Some of those people got killed by people. Yeah. I think there's one in this movie, honestly. I'll give you I'll give you his exclusionary factors after you give me these factors because okay. I think they're worth talking about. Dogs can't track the person. Uh, I would love data on how effective that is in the first place. If anyone has that information, uh, I was having a hard time tracking down that information um, yeah. about just the the 
general effectiveness rate of scent tracking dogs. Yeah. I also... If we are talking about cases where there have been weather events, that would probably have an effect on a, a scent. If we're talking about boulder fields where like you're not going to leave a scent on a boulder if you're jumping boulder to boulder in rubber shoes. Also... That's a hard thing to track. You're intentionally filtering out all the cases where canines have been able to find people because if the canines found someone, they were found and now David isn't writing about it. And they're not a disappearance. So you're only picking the cases where this is possible. Right. Um, point whatever, seven or eight or whatever we're on. Found in an area previously searched. So the person um, appears in an area that has been searched and supposedly cleared previously. This one to me is slightly interesting in that it's it's possible that um it's possible that like you know that is true. He's applying it selectively though. It does it literally doesn't apply to any of the cases he presents in the film. Yeah. None of them. Only well one of them. The well we'll get there. But it's not the person, it's one of their belongings. But yeah. Yeah. Uh, number whatever, missing clothing, clothes or shoes are f- removed and found separate from the person. Right. Doesn't apply to this first case. No. And it applies to two of the other ones. There is documentation that in later stages of hypothermia, people feel hot and will remove clothing. Yep. Um, unknown cause of death is another profile point, which is funny because. This is for people who are found. Yes. So not people who are disappeared. Again, is being applied very selectively. Doesn't apply to the first case we're talking about. And then the last one is what he calls geographical clusters. So I had this is maybe <laughs> I'm, I want to spend a little bit of time here because it's it's maybe my biggest issue with this whole thing. Mm-hmm. He has in. I think all of the missing 411 books, or at least the first few, I stopped buying them after a while. He includes a map of the United States, or uh, I think he did a couple outside books outside the United States, or about cases outside the United States, with these points marked on it of where these cases have occurred. Implying that there are certain clusters where people go missing more often. My two main issues with that are he is in no way being objective about selecting these cases and it is is in no way representative of all missing people cases. He's just picking the ones that fit his profile points which we've established are extremely subjective. And also extremely generic. Yes. If you're by rocks and water, I bet you you're in a national park or you're somewhere rural. Also, if you look at these clusters on the map, they're basically around population centers for the most part. Right. Or or well-trafficked, like hunting, hiking, fishing, camping lands and parks where there are a sizable portion of people going... Even if they don't live there, they're going there a lot of the year. And when they go there, they're indulging in like true wilderness and doing things that are 
considered to be more dangerous than like normal everyday life. Like the map shows, oh shit, there's a cluster in California. Yeah, you know what else is in California? Most of the people. Most of the people. There's a cluster along like the northeast coast. Oddly, there's a cluster sort of by Atlanta. Like the middle of the country is wide open. No one goes dis- no one goes missing there. You know yeah, where else nobody no goes missing? No one lives in Wyoming, South Dakota. It's just nonsense. Yeah. And that's even with his like intentionally filtering out anything that he doesn't think fits. Right. All right. The, so this the, transitions to what he calls the Santa Fe cluster. I have one more thing to say about go, that. Oh, go ahead. Do you know what else makes me annoyed about his cluster map? <laughs> no, but I'd love to hear it. It's for sale on his website. Of course it is. <laughs> you know what else annoys me about that map? What? We're for sure not about the map specifically, but this is for sure about to become a two-part episode because we have so much more to talk about, but that's okay. No. We said that, no. We said it's the last one. He said no. Well, if it's one that we separate into two because we want to make it digestible, I don't know. We, we're not spending two full weeks on this shit. We're not making you wait until fuck it. We're plowing through. Yeah, this episode might be long. We might give up in ten minutes. We're plowing whatever. through. Here, okay. One, we one can, more thing. We can skip some of this stuff. Speaking of, speaking of the points of separation, po- separate uh, uh, no. profile points. Profile points. He also Point says that separation. <laughs> he I've says, been separated <laughs> from my points. I can't find my friends. Um, <laughs> there are four exclusionary factors. He says the four exclusionary factors are mental illness, which how would you know? Right, you, you don't have you access to these people's no. private medical records. I That's, mean, if it's I, he's probably saying if in whatever materials he reviews, it's stated. But still, but no, right? He's you, you not can't excluding prove it. that. Yeah, yeah, right. Um, voluntary disappearance. How would you know? How would you know? How would you know? They left a note. In fact, in the in one of the later chapters that we can skip through a lot of, where three people went missing near a waterfall, where they left all of their personal belongings in their vehicle and were never found of again. How do you know people aren't committing suicide by jumping off a waterfall? Yeah. How do you know? You have no idea that that is not how people are intentionally disappearing themselves by driving to a beautiful vista, leaving all their stuff, and disappearing themselves into the water. I I do wonder about the intentional disappearance aspect of a lot of these because it would also explain or could explain some of the uh, what he perceives as like lack of interest by law enforcement. Yeah. If uh, nothing illegal has happened, if someone wants to disappear yeah there's nothing to investigate yeah or if you do investigate and come to the conclusion that this person either just left or committed suicide or one of those things is even just most likely right you're not going to keep investigating that because what what is there to gain right the family could maybe hire a private investigator or something but it's not a law enforcement issue at that point because no laws have been broken right i mean if it's a missing person's case obviously there's a there's legal ramifications of that, but what do you mean? Well, like if someone's reported missing, that is then considered an open case that where there is like an investigation. Is it? Yeah, for sure. If, if it's, if, if I go, well, I, it would, there would be other factors though, because if I decided tomorrow to just up and leave and not tell anyone, 
somebody, probably my wife would report me missing. Right. It doesn't mean that I didn't do it intentionally. No, it doesn't. But what I'm, but I am saying that like there would be a police report and a case opened on your disappearance. Right. However, they may come to the conclusion that I left. Right. And they are of no obligation to share any of that information with David Pleitis. Oh, sure. Yes. So I'm saying law enforcement may have concluded that some of these were intentional disappearances. Pleitis would not have access to that information. Right. And he's talking out his ass about Saying, portals. isn't this crazy that they... Yeah. yeah. Um, criminal activity, which is not explained or specified. That's the third one. And again... Third? You wouldn't third. know... Right. Unless it had been solved. How do you know? And number four is animal attack. How do you know? Uh, except say, in all of these, it's like, you wouldn't know unless you know. Right. Unless you see blood and ripped clothing or you see someone being carried away by a bear, you wouldn't know. Right. But if But if a bear grabs a guy and drags him into his den to feed his kids for the winter... His bear kids. Mm-hmm. Can we call them bear kids instead of bear cubs? Same thing. I know, but bear unless kids, a bear is raising goats, unless bear, that's what you meant. Mm, hybrids, bear no. goat, bear goat hybrids, bear kids aren't kids baby goats. Yeah, that's what I'm saying. If they're so, bear kids, oh, I thought you they're meant, like hybrid bear. I thought goats. you meant the bears' kids, but I also did mean that. Which the bear I think did not was, bear the kids; he just raised them. Yes. <laughs> also, bear kids is a pretty good band name. <laughs> I think we should put it on the list. Um. Yeah, like they they say, you know, if there was blood or a spread of clothing or goods from someone's pack, you know, strewn about, you would go, oh, that was a bear attack. But there's no there's no way to know whether that's the case if the person never shows up. It doesn't mean they didn't get bitten by a bear, dragged four miles in one direction and out of the path of the grid of search. It just means you didn't find them. So you don't know that it wasn't a bear attack. Quickly, uh, Audrey Kaplan... Went missing near Santa Fe in 2014. She was 75 years old. Uh, she was found several days later um, near a like kind of makeshift messed up campsite. Uh, she was dead, face down in about five inches of water. This one is implied to be very spooky and unexplained. Um, because there's a line in the autopsy that said, although there are no specific autopsy findings to indicate hypothermia, the circumstances of Ms. Kaplan's death and lack of fatal disease at autopsy support cold exposure due to very low overnight temperatures. Yep. Plytus goes on this little rant about, well, if there's no evidence to support it, how can you say it's hypothermia? Right. According to police, temperatures were in the low 40s overnight or near 40 overnight. According to uh, the University of Michigan School of Medicine, quote, hypothermia can occur when temperatures are below 50 degrees Fahrenheit or higher in wet and or windy conditions. The elderly are especially at risk for hypothermia. Right. So we were well below the threshold in terms of temperature for hypothermia. Right. A quote from um, law enforcement When she went missing, she was dressed in light clothing and was not believed to be carrying food or water. Her disappearance occurred during monsoon season, and nighttime temperatures reached a low of 40 degrees in the area. So she was not prepared in terms of clothing. 
It was 40 degrees and wet overnight, and she had no food. And she was missing for five days, I think. Mm Mm-hmm. Given that this is also from the autopsy, given that there was no report of the descendants, decedents, decedents, face being in the water when found, nor circumstances documented to support that it had been in the water, it is unlikely a drowning put roll. Okay, last thing. I found a quote from a woman named Judy Allison, who is a veteran search and rescue volunteer and a friend of Kaplan's for over a decade. She said that while her friend knew the area pretty well. She didn't always pack what she needed when she ventured into the mountains. Quote, the fact is Audrey had been told many, many times by me and others that she dressed inappropriately and did not carry the appropriate gear for hiking in the mountains. So no, it wasn't a surprise. Solved. Carry on. Says her friend of 10 years who is a search and rescue worker. Yep. Solved. Carry on. Why was that information not in the documentary? Because, Spencer, it doesn't tell a good story. All right. What's the uh, the next two to me are not super interesting. So let's skip. No, they're not. He tries to, he and this is what I meant earlier about like he does very light dives into a couple additional ones that happen in the Santa Fe area that are, I guess, somewhat similar, like, but not really yeah. either. Um, let's talk about Aaron Hedges and then maybe wrap this shit up. So the the Aaron Hedges case I found particularly interesting, and we don't even have to talk th- about this one very long, but um, Aaron Hedges disappeared in a mountain range known as the Crazies. Uh, the Crazies are... It's Montana. The Crazy Mountains in Montana. Um, he disappeared on September 5th of 2014, um, there were, they were a group of friends who were essentially taking a mule and a couple horses on pack to go elk hunting up in the, uh, up in the mountains. They were, uh, like very well certified, had hunted this area a lot, uh, knew what they were doing, uh, though they ran into some issues when the mule, I think either spooked off of something on the trail or, or bucked or something like that, and they they apparently lost a bunch of s- supplies. I don't entirely know how they that had would a horse ha- wreck. Uh, well, what does that even mean? Uh, I don't know. Like they ran into each other, or no? I, I think it. How means... do you lose supplies? Did it like fall in the river? Like what? Like how do you not just like carry it with? I don't know. I don't know how it happened. They lost a bunch of stuff, which meant that when they I, got to their base camp, I don't know nothing about horses. I don't know nothing about horses. I don't know nothing about outside. camping or hunting. Yeah, exactly. Sorry to tell you guys 58 minutes into this episode that I don't know anything about the outdoors. <laughs> <laughs> we are, Spencer and I are uh, city kids that would go first. Trash. And <laughs> so trash. <laughs> We're so trash. We would, we would die first in the apocalypse. Um, Where's my Wi-Fi? How do I find a map of where to go? Is that you or me? Me. Okay. <laughs> us. I don't know. Either of us. I just meant the voice specifically. It's me. It's it's my making fun of myself voice. Um. So Aaron, w- with their loss of supplies, Aaron decides to go to a cache that one of these guys had stored up in... Um, I can't remember what the... What the name of it was. There's like a... It was a climb of a mountain up uh, to get to this little area, and I can't remember what the area was called. Anyway, these guys were like 
serial enough hunters that they had gone here enough times that they had literally brought additional supplies to store in a cache for like maybe sometime we'll be up here and we'll have a horse wreck and we'll need some shit. And yeah. that's exactly what happened. So Aaron's going to go by himself at about 10 a.m. on a Saturday. Point of separation. See, I'm saying to go look for this fucking cache. Separated. Hey, don't do it, dude. You don't do it. That um, might be the, the biggest takeaway from this whole missing 411 thing. Don't. Stick together, guys. Well, I'll come back to that in a okay. second because I want to say something additionally about that. Um, instead of finding the cache, Aaron takes the right on a fork where he should have gone left and ends up on a GPS call with his friends six miles away from the original base camp and significantly far off from where he was supposed to be. From everything we could tell later on, we don't think that he actually made it to the cache ever. In fact, it seems like instead of going along the river and then taking that left at the fork to go up to the cache, he just stayed along the river to the right of the fork and kept going and kept going and kept going. Yeah. Uh, Aaron is out there in the wilderness and they must have been doing this frequently enough where like his friends weren't super worried about him that first night, even though he was supposed to be back by the afternoon. They're like, fuck it. Maybe he stayed, I guess. I don't yeah. entirely know, but by the next day they're like, okay, it's like noon the next day. He should for sure be back by now. And that's when they start like freaking out a little bit and going to look for him. Um, and then they phone it in that night and then a snowstorm rolls in. Like a really bad one. Yeah. They got two feet in about 12 hours. Which is crazy. And temperatures dropped from the 50s to the teens. Crazy. Um, the search begins essentially after, uh, you know, 48 hours or so. And um, on September 9th, uh, along that river at the top of like a waterfall, essentially um, a couple searchers find Aaron's boots, the inside bag from like a camelback. Um, they find a fire pit where he was obviously having a fire and was like burning shit and some waist straps from a backpack, which is like, you know how like to keep your bag secured to yourself. You like, tie off around the waist and the chest right. to keep it a little more easy to carry so it doesn't swing. Then um, they'd been like cut, like cut off of his bag. So that's, it's weird enough that this is, this is even further from the six mile from base camp location that they, that he had originally been. So he was just like extremely off track, like by a lot. And he had a GPS device with him where like, I, I've never heard of this before, but apparently it's a phone call where when you make the call, it tracks your GPS location and transmits it to the other phone on the other side of it. So that when okay. you, when you call and talk to someone, they know where you were at the last spot of your call. Okay. One thing I don't understand is if this dude was missing this whole time or if he was lost, why wasn't he calling them? Like even before the storm ran through, if they had that phone because they had one GPS call from him, they, they said there was only one call. Why wasn't he calling multiple different times? Do you want to tell the rest of the story? Because I, yeah, I have yeah, yeah. two theories about this one. Sure. Um, 
that's the only thing they really find is this set of boots um, at this fire pit with bag straps and shit. Mm-hmm. And then basically winter hits in 2014. They don't find anything else uh, until June of the following year when a family who owns like ranch, like cattle ranch land on the other side of the crazies uh, finds his backpack like propped up against a tree. They find his bow. Um, they find like his orange vest and all that stuff like basically on their property from the vantage point of where they found his stuff. Oh, they also found his thermos. It was like open and there was like a cup out like as in he had been drinking whatever was in his thermos. Um, this was 11 miles from where he was or where the base camp originally was. Mm-hmm. Is that right? Yeah. Well, no. No, his further remains were f- a full 11 miles. And this is in between. <laughs> you gave away the end of the story. Yeah. They found his remains in August of 2016. That's, yeah. Um, 11 miles from where he had originally disappeared and six miles from where they had found his boots. His phone and his jacket were found nearby. Um, and his remains had been partially buried. He found like a hip bone and a femur. I don't know. I don't know if buried is the right word. That's what they said. I know, but they also said it was like a cattle trail. And I'm like, well, if it was a muddy cattle trail and he like was in the mud, I mean, he could have decomposed into the mud. I'm just repeating what the exact wording they used in the documentary. I get it. I get it. Um, my first question with this one is how do we, how do we know he wasn't killed? We absolutely don't. We definitely don't. The, the, How do we know that all that movement of his stuff was his own? Was not someone else. We don't. How did he bury himself? Yeah, I mean, that part's a little weird. Doesn't this seem like it's at least plausible that he was murdered? It's definitely plausible. Like how, how, how has Politis, if he's ruled that out, which he says he does... He gave no information about how he ruled that out in a case that looks very much like someone being murdered. Sure. I mean, the thing, the thing too about the, um, cause like the, so if you suppose that he's by himself and he is six miles away from base camp and he takes his boots off and then basically goes another five or six miles to where his next set of stuff was found. I don't care who you are. You are not hiking in two feet of snow barefoot in 10 degree temperatures for six miles. You're just not like the human. You could You'd just be in really rough shape. I mean, could you? Yeah. I mean, you're not, that's not going to kill you. Probably do, do, do your feet not like, well, yeah, he also died later. Like, No, I know, but I'm saying physically, could your feet maintain enough feeling for you to move your body that far? Probably. My suspicion is that you couldn't, and that's why, is that he wasn't. Like, I his mean, that, stuff that's was definitely moved what I further think. than he could have possibly moved with no boots on in 10-degree temperatures and two feet of snow. Not much else makes any sense for this one, because... 
he was near like the the spot where they found his backpack and his vest and his gun and stuff was within sight of people's homes. If he needed help, he had it. He could have right. walked up to someone's house and said, "Hey, I'm lost. Please help." Which leads me to believe that that was someone else carrying his bag and carrying his thermos. If you're intentionally disappearing, which is really the only other explanation at that point. That he intentionally fucked off into the woods and was like, I'm going to go. Then you don't die and bury yourself. Right. I think it's very possible that, and that you said only only some of his remains were recovered, right? Yeah, they never found like his lower half. They never I, found... Is it not possible that this dude was killed like before his boots were found and that his remains are just like over a pretty big area because that would make it really hard to find and track whoever did it. Sure. Sure. Like, why is that impossible in this case? I don't, uh, I certainly don't think it is impossible. I think if you, if you make, if you try to make the argument that he was moving of his own accord and doing all of these things by himself, it is actually a super strange case because he's not, he's but there's not no a, reason to think that he was. No, no, no. But I'm just saying if, if he is a 38 year old certified seasoned tour guide and hunter doing all of this stuff on his own, missing a very obvious fork in the road, going the wrong direction, going further in the wrong direction, then going further in the wrong direction, doing weird shit like ditching his boots and ditching his gun and ditching his bow and ditching his backpack, seeing where he could go get help. We know that he would, he would have been sitting there drinking a thermos and looking at a ranch after having been gone for, you know, four or five, six days. He could have done all of that on his own. That's, that seems so unlikely to me because if, if you want to, if that's the story you want to tell, Yes, that is extremely weird and extremely strange and makes no sense at all. If you want to say like someone else was involved in that, then that story actually kind of makes a lot of sense that someone was lugging a lot of his stuff and was like trying to pick it for what it was worth and dumping the other stuff or, you know, what's to say that like someone had a shittier bow and they like dropped their bow next to his backpack and took the nicer one. You know what I mean? Like, Did anybody ever verify that that was his bag? That was his bow? Was someone trading goods for nicer goods? I was assuming so, but yeah. But you know what I mean? Like, we don't know that someone wasn't just swapping out better versions of their shit. And then this one really calls a lot of attention to the, um, the like, whatever he calls them, whatever place calls them, the like exclusionary points. Yeah. We don't know that there wasn't criminal activity involved. In fact, it, seems like there probably was yeah we have no idea what the state of his mental health was no we don't have medical records did he have a psyche valve the day he he left to go hunting like right. we don't we don't have any information about that right if politis does he doesn't share any of it like there are just so many unknowns here that politis is implying to know right that he just can't right and no, absolutely if you uh, if you are just auditioning possibilities here. Yep. The possibility that he was killed fits. Right. Because he didn't bury himself. This whole story makes sense if he encountered someone else out in the woods that day. Right. Then everything after that makes sense. Right. And yet that option is never explored and it's never mentioned 
why Politis has concluded that that is impossible. Right. Not a word about it. Right. All right. Sierra Sasquatch sounds. Wait, wait, wait. Really quick. Between two and three, I just I have to roast this documentary one more time. When Dave pronounces homicide homicide, and even though he insists he was a cop for 20 oh, years. God, I did not hear that. And he was a detective. He never would have heard the word homicide before. Or he just... He, he tripped over his mustache when he said it because his mustache was too big. Uh, randomly, I have to call this out. Randomly, between chapters two and three, there is a section that is, here are some packing tips to help you remain safe in the wild. Did you catch this section? Yes. Where he starts talking to like three outdoor wilderness people who are like... And they're all wearing camo from head to toe? Yeah, and they're like, here's how to be adequately prepared so that you don't go missing. Make sure you have a sat phone and make sure you have extra water and a whistle and a GPS device and bright colored like gear and tell people when you're going and when you're coming back. He he does that in all of his like lectures and interviews and stuff. This is why this shit is such a mind fuck to me is because he's making an implication that all of these people are smart, taken care of great outdoors people who are prepared and know exactly what they're doing. So something mysterious must have gotten them. And that's why they went missing or in the exact same breath. It's, if you're prepared enough, you should be totally fine, and here's the way to do right. that. He, he tells people to bring a GPS device with him. What he the He tells fuck? people to bring a gun with him. He, like, all these things that he mentions happen in the cases, in the in the film. It makes no where sense. Where people went missing. No sense. Okay. Sasquatch, Sasquatch sounds. Let's do it. You ready? He calls it the Sierra Camp. Yes. If you haven't listened to our episode from two weeks ago... Sierra Sasquatch sounds were recorded in the 70s uh, by Ron Moorhead and um, the other guy whose name neither of us can seem to remember at a spot uh, in the Sierra Mountains at about 4,000 feet in elevation. They're very silly sounding. It's probably just a man yelling. He claims they were Sasquatches talking to each other. We spent an hour analyzing them two weeks ago. Yeah, we don't really have to go that deep into this story. Quote from David Politis to, to start it off. Yeah, yeah, go ahead. We're examining the following two cases only because there is physical evidence to back up their claims, photos and audio. So this is, he's referring to chapters four and five, which are the last two cases of this documentary where it goes... Fully off the rails. Without these two items, the cases wouldn't be mentioned. This is my point of separation where I finally was like, (laughs) oh, for God's sake. You're you're what? My point of separation. Thank you. I knew you told me that this, that the Sierra stuff was mentioned in here and I completely forgot about it until I got to this chapter. And then I was like, oh, Jesus Christ. Here we go. Okay. I'm just going to read my notes. Okay. This part is ridiculous. Okay. You should watch it. It's funny. Um, Don't pay more than like $5 to watch it. It's on Amazon for five bucks. Okay. My notes. Oh shit. They're actually at the Sierra camp. LOL. Long shot of boulders. Dave really loves boulders. Many boulders, bro. Many boulders, bro. Uh, There are a lot of typos in these titles. Quote from Ron Moorhead. We were terrified, thinking we were going to have to shoot our way out. Which, if you've listened to the audio, makes no sense because he spends part of the time calling them closer to him. 
Yeah, this is in for what it's worth. This is in relationship to the actual sounds that they were hearing outside of this makeshift like lean-to that they had built. Lean-to is not the right word, but they basically just structured a bunch of logs. They built a very makeshift log cabin type yeah. of thing. Yeah. So he says they were so terrified of these sounds that these Sasquatch were making. They thought they were going to have to shoot them to get out of the camp. But if you listen to the audio. They're like having a conversation with them and calling them over like you would a dog. Right. Okay. Scott Nelson, who has analyzed these recordings and is convinced that they represent an actual language unknown to us humans. Doesn't he sound like even more of a goof ass in the documentary? I don't really remember, but I wrote down a quote from him where he said, their vocal range is much bigger than human beings. The frequencies go way above and way below the abilities of humans. We've already discussed this. This is not... No, we haven't. Wait, what? We have not talked about this. I put it on our social media. We have not discussed this. Oh, okay. Let's so get them. So I decided to compare the audio of these recordings to that of my own voice. And in terms of frequency range, with the Sierra Sasquatch sounds, so people can generally hear about 20 hertz at the very low end Yep. to about 20,000 hertz at the very high end. Yep. Um... The Sierra Sasquatch recordings only, like there's a hard cutoff on either side, only have information between about 100 hertz and about 4,000. Yes. So they're using a pretty limited spectrum of the whole frequency range that human beings can hear. Right. There is no information above or below the range of human hearing. Now, in Scott's defense a little bit, that's almost certainly because either the microphone or the recorder they were using didn't capture frequencies outside of that range. But then how different would- microphones and different recording media, like a shitty tape or a shitty tape recorder, isn't going to capture that full frequency range. But that's the only information he has about these sounds. So he has no leg to stand on to be able to make a claim like that. Right. He's saying from this recording on which there is no information above 4,000 hertz, I have concluded that Bigfoots make sounds above 20,000 hertz. Do you remember when I suggested last week or two weeks ago that we should have just a really like like shitty morning radio DJ fart sound effect on the board? Yes. This would be the This time. would be the moment that I would just hit a big fart sound for him and his assessment. Quote from Ron Moorhead, one time I heard a huge tuning fork above us. Yep. <laughs> it's a hell of a line to just drop on somebody. Dang, that's just science. Mm-hmm. Ron also says he saw lights and orbs in the sky, and one time a big blue ball coming down from the sky, quote, moving with some kind of intelligence. I do, I do got to say, there's some great shots of Dave and Ron and Scott just sitting around the fire at this actual camp. They spend a week there. Yeah, that's too much time. Oh, that sounds kind of awesome. Though. Yeah, but it's too much time. Also, he says he spent a week there and nothing weird happened, he but did. he had to put it in the documentary because he spent Because he spent there. a bunch of money and time to do it. <laughs> they spent a whole week just shooting still shots of boulders. And yeah, and, and conversations around the fire. <laughs> good and, job. Good job, guys. And there's this moment where uh, <laughs> I got I to gotta give Ron his respect for this one. There's there's a moment where Dave looks at him and he's like, don't you worry about, you know, you've, you've got these stories about, you know, lights and stuff. Like, don't you worry about, you know, what people 
are going to say or like think or whatever. And Ron just like looks him dead ass in his face and he's like, what? Oh, I don't care. <laughs> he's like, I made a living off of fake Bigfoot. Tips, he's like, so I don't I'm, give a shit. He's like, I'm this old. He's like, I don't care. And it just, it's like the most hilariously dismissive. Like I could get, I couldn't possibly care less about what people say about me. Um, Ron and his wife stayed at the camp for three days. They go back there every year still. They stayed for three days in 2016. He says they saw a three foot long rod of light hover through their camp like a flying lightsaber. Yep. Or in their recreation, it looked like a, um, uh, what the fuck? What are the, the lights, the tube lights? Fluoresce- it looked like a fluorescent long light fl- fluorescent light bulb. Yeah, yeah. Just kind of like hovering through the campsite. Yeah. They do a uh, great recreation of it. It's awesome. Ron says the reason he hasn't brought people there or uh, shared the location of this camp is, quote, I don't want it exposed to a bunch of researchers. Because they might find out that it's bullshit. Dang, that's just science. (laughs) I then wrote in all caps, there must have been another shot of a boulder. Drink every time there's a shot of a boulder, you'll die. Doing it. (laughs) Doing it. Uh, Last thing, although we didn't, quote from David Plaitis, although we didn't experience anything paranormal, this area holds many secrets that we know for sure. No, we don't. We don't know that at all. <laughs> also, can I just really quickly... Good job! <laughs> another reason that this documentary is such a mindfuck, and I think the more the more that I think about it, the more I'm like, what, ha- what happened? <laughs> like, it's you got done, missing time, bro. It's, it's you per- got separated from reality. <laughs> Seriously. Like, it's, it, I think it's produced so well and so consistently. Like, the... The shot selection is consistent. The audio quality is actually really solid. Yeah. The the animations and editing is actually really good. They just needed a proofreader on the titles and they would have been set. Right. But there's a cohesiveness to the visual narrative of the content that is really solid. Like mm-hmm. it you could you could show that to people who are learning how to make a good documentary and be like there's some really good ex- exemplary stuff here. As opposed to m- almost every other documentary on any topic like this. Exactly. Yeah. But the narrative connection of the content is totally so fucked that when you're watching it, you're like, what is, what is, ha- what is happening to there, me? There's this huge, what are you doing? There's this dissonance. Yeah. Between the visual storytelling and then the actual narrative, like, but then it's presented like the actual words he's saying don't make sense. But on the surface, like if you just don't really think about it, <laughs> it all makes sense if you don't think but about it. You know, you know what I mean. Like it, it's easy to yes. get sucked in and be like, yeah. "Oh yeah, that is weird." Right. If you don't stop to be like, "Well, wait, what if this happened?" Or if you don't Google any any of the people's names to find out, like, "Oh, her own friends told her that was a bad idea many times, and right. that it, this exact scenario was going to happen to her if she kept doing this." And and this is what I was talking about at the very beginning of the episode, where it's like. He sets the whole thing up being like disappearances, profile points, all this stuff. And then in chapter four, he literally just goes to a camp with some guys who say they heard weird stuff and saw lights. No one disappeared. None of the profile points are relevant. It's the cluster unrelated. map isn't relevant. There's literally no narrative connection other than the fact that they can, used to hunt there at some we, point. Since we're already way over, 
Let's run the profile points on the Sierra Sasquatch sounds. Was there a point of separation? No. Was there a time of disappearance? No. Was there a boulder field? Yes. Are they near water? Eh. Who know? We don't know. Right? Uh, yeah, I don't know. That's I what mean, I'm saying. I mean, all of California is kind of close to water. Right. Uh, was there a weather event? No. Did anyone have a disability or illness? No. Were there dogs involved? No. Was anyone found in an area previously searched? No. Did anybody lose their clothes? No. Did anyone die? No. Is it near a geographical cluster? I guess. We're like... Maybe one, two and a half one, of I think one and 12? a half. We're, we got rocks. <laughs> and we're near his one of his made up clusters. Yeah, it's like it's like how... And, and then this is what I was trying to say at the beginning of the episode. And then by telling this story sequentially in the narrative, there's an implication that somehow the things witnessed or documented at the Sierra camp is somehow connected to the man who was 82 and blind and deaf. Hell yeah. Who, who fucking disappeared. Hell yeah. And he's like, he's like, he's trying to make you think that these have a logical connection to each other. And they, and they fucking don't. They very fucking don't. And then he closes with a lady saw the predator in her backyard and a kid down the street saw a UFO at the same time. That is. This has been the What If Podcast. You guys. Speaking about David Plaitis for the last time, he is now the Voldemort of our of podcast. Our Him and Jeremy Kerbs. Never. No, I emailed Jeremy asking for an interview this week. <laughs> He's not going to hit us back. And if he does, we're going to talk to him. Um, the. The, that's that is literally the fifth chapter for what it's worth is a woman who thinks she saw like a shimmery she saw a predator predator style thing no, hot from tree to tree it was actually him hang on pause the music i gotta say one more thing before we go out i know we <laughs> roast this documentary and we and and there are plenty of things that are laughable about it and outrageous i think it's important for y'all to hear from us you know, we've said this at the beginning of the other episodes. We are not making light of the deaths or disappearances of the people that are in these stories at all. In fact, I think the, 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 the laughter and like the jokes about it are roasting this dude for doing what he's doing, because I actually think it's really gross. And the, what I wrote down in my notes is, is this line. I said, it does a massive disservice to make a circus sideshow of these people's deaths and disappearances and the hurt that it has caused their families. And I think that is the crux of what he does here is instead of giving these people, these people are in a vulnerable grieving state, mourning the loss of a family member that died in unfortunate, scary, and often strange ways. But that's a natural part of the things these people were doing that got them to this point. And so instead of allowing for that to be the honest truth of their loss and grieving that, that reality he makes a circus sideshow of these people's deaths and disappearances by trying to connect the poor old woman who was not adequately equipped to be mushroom hunting late at night in the wintertime, her hypothermia to Ron Moorhead seeing a fucking lightsaber floating through a camp in the high Sierras. That's fucking ridiculous. And it's offensive and he should be embarrassed that he puts this shit out and tries. I mean, the fucking moment in that history channel thing where he sat across from that woman and told her that her dead husband stepped into a time portal. I was like, how do you go home at night and be like, 
I feel really good about the work I do. If you wanted to help, you wouldn't be making movies about it and selling them for 20 bucks on Vimeo. Exactly. And how much of that money goes to the families? I'm assuming none. Is zero dollars. Yeah, no. And that's that's why it's why we're making fun of him and it's why I'm done talking about him. And it's yes. why I think what he's doing is highly unethical. Yes, exactly. Because there is real tragedy in these stories. Right. Well, some of them, not the guy who heard his friend screaming in the woods, pretending to be Bigfoot. Yeah. But yeah, people died and it's horrible. Right. And they don't know why in some, in a lot of the cases, they don't know how they don't have closure. Right. Someone important to them is gone forever and that's awful. And instead of someone is trying to and succeeding at profiting off of that and and that's fucked. Totally. And dragging that unknown into either explicit or implicit conversations around it being paranormal Bigfoot, and that to me is is it's frankly it's disgusting yep all right goodbye we love you <laughs> we love you it's the last time we're doing it we'll have a silly topic next week later cop face <laughs> see you never uh thanks for listening guys uh it is the what if podcast hey have a great week we love you we're proud of you Go back, listen to Chuck's send-off from the other day. Uh, hit us up at hi at whatifpodcast.com. You can always leave us a voicemail at 612-246-4614. Uh, get an extra episode every week for only 5 bucks a month uh, and get access to our back catalog of about 100 episodes. That's at patreon.com slash whatifpodcast. I like what you got. We've got t-shirts and merch and swag over at shop.whatifpodcast.com. such a dang neat show. If you want to leave us a review on iTunes, we'd love you for it. Uh, we've got a cool announcement coming soon. Oh, what is it? Bye. Interdimensional Bigfoot. <laughs>